This week's parsha is parsha Shemais, and we know that this is the beginning, of course, of the new sefer of Sefer Shemais. And if you look in the Ramban in his Hakdama to the sefer, he explains that there are different words, there are different names for the Svarim, the five Chumashim that we commonly refer to as Bereisha Shemais, Bayikra, Bamidbar Devarim, there was another series of names that were given, and the Ramban goes through them. And he says that another name for Sefer Bereishis is called Sefer Hayitzira. And Sefer Hayitzira means the book of creation. And he says, well, obviously the first chapter is understandable why we're calling the entire book the book of creation, because uh, there is uh, creation involved, the Bria Sa'ilam. But it doesn't really so easily explain the rest of the chapters of Sefer Bereshis, because those are talking about the Abes, the Imais, the Shvatim. What does that have to do with Sefer Yitzira? And he describes the way Maisa Abes Simulabanim and how whatever the Aves did, every activity, every event, every episode in the lives of our forefathers were really a Yitzira Lazarum. They were, in effect, a creation for their children who follow. Everything, every story that we find by the Aves, by the Imais, are not just merely an old storybook that uh, we dust off every year and we reread, but rather these are templates for future generations to follow. So that neatly sums up Sefer Bereshis and why that's called Sefer Yitzira, why the entirety of the Sefer is called Sefer Yitzira, because it's Yitzira, it involves creation of the world, and the Aves who are creation for their children who follow. But then he Describe Sefer Shemais as being the Sefer HaGolos Vagaula. This is the book of Golos, of exile, and the book of redemption. And again, he explains that even though it's true that the redemption takes place in the middle of the book, we could have ended the Sefer, Shema, Sefer HaGolos Vagaula, Lachaira at Parshas. Um, by Bishalach, maybe, by Bishalach. But he says, until we built the Mishkan, which really takes place at the end of Sefer Shemais, the Geula was not completed because the Geula is only completed at the point that we return El Mailas Avesenu. When we're able as a nation to return to the stature and the status of our forefathers, where the Shechina was Shaira on their tent. Only then is the Geula cycle complete, and that only happened with the Binin HaMishkan, which is really at the end of Sefer Shemais. My only ha'ara on this Ramban is that I understand Bereshis, the word that we have to describe the Sefer, ties in very nicely with Sefer Yitzira. Bereshis is talking about the beginning of the world, Genesis, Creation, that is Sefer Yitzira. So it's another way of describing Sefer Yitzira. When we say Sefer Bereshis, Sefer Bereshis is sort of a synonym, if you will, 
of Sefer Yitzira. It's a, it's a word which really neatly describes when you think of Bereshis, you think of creation. You think of new beginnings. You think of a, of a start to something new, of innovation. But Sefer Shemais, how does the word Shemais tie in to Sefer Agolos Vagula? Shemais means names. Names is a, is sort of like a, I mean, that's the way the, the book begins, Ve'ela Shemais B'nei Yisrael, Abam Mitzrayimah, but how does Shemais equal Golos Vagaula? If we're using Sefer Shemais, if that's the way that Klal Yisrael was accepted upon themselves to describe Sefer Shemais, I've never normally heard people describe Sefer Shemais when talking to another person is, by, by say, calling it Sefer Agolos Vagaula, we call it Shemais. So how is Shemais, how is that word Shemais, that word names, how does that envelop and encompass this concept of Golos and Geula? And I think the answer is pretty obvious. And that is that the names that we are named... When we have names, when by our bris or by a girl, when the father of the girl is called up to the Torah after the birth at the appropriate time and the father gives the name for this child, those names are not just random names. Those names are very significant to the entire mission and purpose of that child. This is a Gemara and Brachas. The Gemara and Brachas on the Zion and Medbez explains Menalam Dishma Garma. How do you know that the name of a person is Garam, the destiny? How do you know that the name is significant and instructive when finding out what is this person's purpose? What is this person's role in life? How do you know that? And the Gemara brings rias to the fact that that's true, and the Gemara brings examples throughout Tanakh where you find that the names are so informative as to the destiny and the primary mission that this person will engage in. The Arizal even takes it a step further. The Arizal says, based on this Gemara, that if a person wants to know his or her own destiny. What is my mission in life? This is something that we speak about so often in Yeshiva here. How do I know what my mission is in life? How do I know what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants from me? The Arizal says that a way of figuring that out is by exploring and dissecting the name that you were given at birth. And if you understand the Mahus if you understand the very essence of your name, then you'll understand the shayrish of your neshama. If you understand the shayrish of your neshama, then you will be able to identify what your task is in this life. What is your specific obligation and mission in life? And if you're going to ask me, well, you know, my parents were not exactly Meshur Abeno. And Sipaira, my parents were not exactly Avram and Sarah. What difference does it make what name my parents gave me at birth? I mean, you know, they, 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 they like the sound of that name. That doesn't, 
How is that informative for me? Maybe the Gemara and Brachas is talking about major biblical figures. But for me, you obviously don't know who my parents were. My parents were not exactly... So the Sefer Taimei HaMitzvahs brings the shame, the Sefer Al-Gilgulim. And there's also an Arachayim HaKadosh that indicates that every single parent, it doesn't matter who the parent was, but at the point of the bris, the name that was given, the name that they thought of, the name that popped into their head, the name that that was told to the person that was mechubed with Kriya Shem, the Ikarish might be Israel, that name was given Baruch HaKadosh. That was a divinely ordained name. It wasn't just a random sample, a random thought, a random idea that they looked in a book and they saw, oh, this is a strong biblical name, we like that. Or this is a name that uh, you know really uh, speaks to me and I like that. That name that you gave to your child was given Baruch HaKadosh. And so it is instructive, no matter who our parents are, to explore the nature and the essence of the name that we were given at birth because that is our mission in life. That's our destiny. The names that were Klal Yisrael, the Jewish names, as we went into Egypt, those names that were given and that were maintained were the source of the Geula out of Mitzrayim. Chazal tell us that there were different schusim that Klal Yisrael had to be redeemed from Egypt. There wasn't such a layup that we would be able to be redeemed from Egypt. We weren't as good as we might believe that we were. We were on the Memtesh Sharitoma. What was the schus that we had to be Nitzel from Mitzrayim? And the Gemara says several schusim. We never changed our clothing. Our clothing was always Jewish. Whatever the form of Jewish clothing was back then, but the equivalent of, let's say, a streimel and a bekisha or a, uh, a kapata or whatever the Jewish form of clothing was back in Egypt of old, Klal Yisrael refused, they refused to change that. As much pressure as there was to change that mode of clothing... They didn't want to. And that was a great schus. They didn't change their l'shainam, their language. They always maintained the Jewish language. They spoke in a mamalosh, and they had a, a, a language that other nations did not have. And even though it would have been very easy for them, living in Egypt, surrounded by this decadent society, to adopt the native tongue, they refused to do that. They maintained tenaciously their lasha and their language. There's even a isafa and a chazal. Another thing that they didn't change was shino ma'achalam. They didn't change the type of food that they ate. There was Jewish food. Today, you know, I'm not I'm not one to criticize. I like Chinese food more than anybody, and Mexican food and uh, Thai food and all these foods that the Jewish pizza, all that, there's no more Jewish food today than pizza. How, how do you survive without pizza? 
These are all Gaiyasha foods, though. At the end of the day, they might have a big hechsher on them, and we all eat them. In Mitzrayim, they didn't. In Mitzrayim, they would refuse to eat the Egyptian-style cooking, and they would stick to their matzah balls and to their borscht and to their chicken soup and whatever the Jewish machalim were back then. That's what they stuck to. And they would not change that. It was very important for them to maintain their Jewish identity. But the first chus that they had that's mentioned in that medrash, before all of these others chusim, was shinu es shimam. They refused to change their names. These names that were given to them, they understood was their mission. They did not want to take on Egyptian names. They did not want to take on names that were not Jewishly given and Jewishly infused with Kedusha. And as a result of that, that's why they were Zeichet to Geula. I found a, a fascinating medrash. I didn't find it myself. I saw it quoted. But there's a medrash in Shemais Rabbah, Perek, Aleph, Simon Hay. You have to hear this medrash. Unbelievable medrash. I'm not going to say the entire medrash. Be'ela Shemais B'nei Yisrael, Al-Shem Geulas Yisrael Nizkru Khan. All the names in this Pasuk, everybody, all the Mepharshim, jump on this first Pasuk. Ve'ela Shemais B'nei Yisrael. We already had the list. At the end of Seva Barashas, we already had the names of all the Shvatim that came down to Mitzrayim, Ruvain, Shimon, Levi, Yudah. Why are you repeating it again? And all the Mepharshim give different reasons because of Chibasan and other reasons why it was so important to give these names again. Listen to this Medrash. This Medrash says an amazing Chiddush that all of these names, besides for the original reasons that were given for every name of every tribe, Reuven, we know, Sukkim and, and Sefer Bracious, how, why they called him Reuven, why they called him Shimon, why they called him Levi, Yehuda, Yisachar, etc. All these names already, already have reasons for them that were given in the Torah. But listen to this Medrash, and it explains why we repeat all these names. Because when those original names were given, that was not the only dimension of their name. There was a deeper dimension to all the Shvatim's names. Reuven, Shenema, Roy, Roisius, Aniami. Pasuk later in Shemais Parakimel, I have seen the poverty of my nation, the downtroddenness of my nation. That's why his name was Reuven. Shimon, Hashem, Yishmael, Hashem heard their cries. Levi is a Lashen Chibor, like a Levaya, to be Malave, to escort, to attach oneself to something. Hashem Shinishabra Kadishparchu Litzarasma Kadishparchu hitched his wagon Kavayachal to us. That's Levi. He saw our Tzara, he attached himself to us. They, they were made, they appreciated HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Yisachar, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave them schar for their Sheba, the Bizas Mitzrayim. And it goes on and on, a, a beautiful medrash, how every single one of the Shvatim, besides for the names that we were familiar with, besides for the reasons, the meanings behind their name, but there was another dimension, another layer that we are not familiar with, and all of those are given in this medrash. What do we see from here, Rabbi Say? 
that the names of Klal Yisrael going down to Mitzrayim were very significant, not just for themselves, but it was significant for the Geula of Klal Yisrael. The Shifte Kah, if I was a member of, of Reuven or of Shimon, the name of my tribe was significant. The name of my tribe symbolized to me that Kedush Baruch Hu hears my voice. He sees my plight. He was Malava himself with us. Ima These were very, very emotional names. These were very significant names that Klal Yisrael had a, had a reason to embrace and not change. And as a result of that, the reason for Klal Yisrael's Geula was ultimately because they stuck to these names. They loved these names. They maintained these names. And these names were inspirational for them. And this was the name that would get them out of Egypt. And I think that that might be the pshat in why our name for this Sefer, of Sefer Shemais, is equal to the Ramban's name of Golos Vagaula. Because if you want to understand why we were Zaycha to the Golos and to the Geula from that Golos, it's because of the names that we had, the Shemais B'nai Yisrael. With our names that we were each having, we were each given, and the general names of our Shevet, this was the reason why Klai Yisrael was Zeichet to the Geula from Mitzrayim. I want to be Maisif one Ha'ara, and that is that there were a few names, and maybe a few of you are wondering this, that I'm making all the names in the parasha out to be like these beautiful Jewish names that have uh, untainted by any, any Egyptian culture, any Egyptian pollution. And that's simply not the case. Because there are a few names in this parasha, perhaps the most famous names, that were absolutely Egyptian names. Moshe Rabbeinu, the name Moshe, today it's a, you know, that's, that's, that's a very standard Jewish name today, I think. But Moshe Rabbeinu, believe it or not, was an Egyptian name. Moshe had Jewish names. Moshe Rabbeinu's name, there were, he had several names, beautiful names. Tuvya, Avigdar, Yekusiel, many beautiful names that Moshe Rabbeinu had, but the name that stuck was the name that was given by none other than Basia Bas Paray, the daughter of Paray, who pulled him out of the out of the Ar and saved his life, and she named him Moshe Kiminamayim Mishisiu, because he was drawn out of the water. So she named him Moshe. That's the name that we have in the Torah. I dare you to find any place, any other name that was ever given to Moshe Rabbeinu mentioned in the Torah other than Moshe. No other name. We, in Medrashim we have. But not in the Torah itself. Moshe was the name that was given. And today when we speak about Moshe, no one ever says, Yekusiel uh, Rabbeinu. Nobody says that. Moshe Rabbeinu. It's an Egyptian name. I'll tell you two other Egyptian names in the Torah, in this parasha. Miriam and Yecheved, that's the names of 
Moshe Rabbeinu's mother was Yecheved, his sister was Miriam, great women who saved Klal Yisrael. And in the middle of the parsha, we give them an alias of Shifra and Pua. Now, where do these names come from, Shifra and Pua? Shifra, Rashi says, is Shemeshaferes Esavlad. They were midwives, so they beautified the child. And Pua is that she cooed into the ear of the child. That was Miriam's specialty. She was able to calm down a baby by whispering and cooing into his ear. The din of a Rebbe said, where do these names come from? You know where they came from? Shift from Book. Call them Yechevin and Miriam. Zok the din of a Rebbe that Parai gave them these names, Shifra and Pua. He says, I don't want you anymore to be known as Yecheved and Miriam. From now on, we're changing your name to Shifra and to Pua. Why? Because Parai was a smart guy. Parai knew that if you take a Jewish woman and a Chashavet Tzadikas, like a Yecheved, like a Miriam, and you tell them, okay, I want you as midwives as soon as a baby comes out, check out if it's a boy or a girl. If it's a girl, let them live. And if it's a boy, I want you to take him and kill him. Who's going to do, which Jewish woman is going to be able to do that? Who's going to do that? It's impossible. What you, you're asking something that's simply impossible of these people. But Paris says, Yecheven and Miriam can't do that. But if I could give them a nice Egyptian name, like Shifra, like Pua, the name itself will have such an impact on them that they will hopefully be able to do the deed of murdering these infants only because I'm changing their name to Egyptian names. So it's fascinating that in the Torah itself there are certain names that were actually Egyptian that were that stuck in a certain way, at least Moshe's did, and that in spite of those names, Klal Yisrael was able to have such leaders. And I want to learn a little bit about these names in particular, because these are like the unusual names in the parish that sort of fly in the face of everything that I'm saying until now, and understand the important significance even of a name that's given by an Egyptian after the fact, how that, how that also shapes my destiny. The Sepharno says on the word Moshe that really if you're a Baldictic, his name should be Mashoi. Mashoi means he was pulled out. So call him Mashoi. Mashoi means he was pulled out. Something happened to him. He was a he was a uh, he was passively pulled out, meaning he didn't do anything himself. He was the one that was pulled out of the ark. But his name is Moshe. And Moshe implies an active act of pulling. And the Sepharna says, because this is his destiny, Moshe Rabbeinu is not merely a person that things are happening to, but Bastia Baspara was giving him a mission statement in life. This is what you yourself will be doing. You yourself are going to be charged in life. And the Lushan of the Sepharna is that you will be in charge of taking people out from sorrow. This is your, this is going to be your lot in life. Shemima Eles, 
You will lift out people when they're in Tsaras and you will pull them. You will tug them until they are free, until they are redeemed. This was Moshe Rabbeinu's destiny. Moshe is a Lushan that implies that it's his job himself, just like he was pulled out of the water, he's going to pull other people out. And who is greater than Moshe Rabbeinu who took us out of Mitzrayim? He took us through the Yam, he took us to Mount Taira. Moshe Rabbeinu pulled Klal Yisrael out single-handedly from Sheba to Geula. That's the greatness of a name. Even the Egyptian name that was given to him also molded his destiny and made him who he was. Shifra and Pua, Shifra and Pua were people that were so great, Yecheven and Miriam, but their greatness, and this is something very, very important, this is something that we learned this week together in Avad Berbiruchim, he says the most amazing thing I've ever seen. He says, he asks a great question. Shifra and Pua are people that are great. Yecheven and Miriam, they're the, they saved Klal Yisrael. They didn't succumb to the Gezerah Parai. And we're calling them in the, in the Torah, Shifra and Pua, that she's Mishaferis as Havlad, she knows how to, when a baby comes out, to like sort of make its uh, body in a certain way so that it looks nice, and it's able to, she's able, the other one is able to calm down the baby when it cries. Is this something that's really important to call Yecheven and Miriam? Is there no other name to call them that the Torah has to eternalize their name in such a petty manner? Imagine if you take a great woman, Mahabdil, if let's say uh, Queen Elizabeth, okay, and people start calling Queen Elizabeth by a name that implies that she's really good at, uh, at calming a baby down. It's a bizayin. It's bizayin. It's Queen Elizabeth, uh, the Queen of England, and she's good at, uh, at calming a baby down. Isn't that a pchisos hakavid? You're calling Yechevet and Miriam by names that imply that they could coo to a baby and they could, they could mishab. That's any, any RN in the world could do that. Any midwife can do that. So what are you giving? This is their stature. This is their godless. And Rabbi Yerucham says, absolutely. He says that Gedalim, listen to this very well. He says that people that are great, people that are really great people, you know what makes them great? Their greatness lies in the fact that they're able to take even very small things in life, seemingly insignificant, trivial matters in life, and make them important. They breathe life into them. They breathe significance and importance into them to the degree that they that these things become huge. The mark of a man's greatness is not what he accomplishes in life, how big are his accomplishments, how great, how many svarim did he publish, and how many talmidim did he have, and how many skyscrapers did he own, and how many millions did he acquire. That's not what makes a man great. What makes a man great is by observing the small things in life. How did they treat the small things in life? You find stories about Ramesha Feinstein. Ramesha Feinstein was, uh, was the Gadladar, 
He was a Bucky in Shas and Paiskim, and that word Bucky is, is too overused in our society. He was a Bucky Nifla in Shas and Paiskim. He chazered Shas and Paiskim hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, and he had a mind that he would have hopped Shas and Paiskim after learning it once. But he learned it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. He wrote Chidushim on Shas. He wrote Shiloh Suchuvas that rocked the world. In fact, there's a story that's told about how when Ramesha Feinstein, together with the other G'daylam of America, met with Menachem Begin. So the G'daylam were waiting for Menachem Begin, the Prime Minister, to come in. And before, they came, before he came in, it was in Ramesha's apartment in the Lower East Side, and the Secret Service, or maybe the Israeli Secret Service, they came and they were like sweeping the apartment to make sure that there were no bombs in the apartment. Because a lot of people wanted to, wanted to obviously do harm to him, to the Prime Minister of Israel. So Rav Hutner was there in the apartment when they were looking for bombs. And he says, you're looking for bombs? He says, the bombs are not where you're looking. The bombs are in his safe Ergris Meisha. Says, check out the Sefer Grismesha. That's where you're going to find the explosive stuff. Isarim rocked the world. And if you look in his biography, as impressive as those chapters are, I think everybody is really much more impressed with the smaller details of his life. How whenever he would leave a, a chasno or yeshiva dinner, he would make it his business to go into the kitchen where nobody thinks to go ever, except if you're a waiter or a mashkiach. And he went there and he thanked all of the waiters and all the mashkichim and all of the, all of the busboys personally for what a beautiful dinner it was, what a beautiful chasna it was, how delicious the food was. Who does that? Nobody but one person, Meshach Feinstein. What does that tell us? It tells us that the significance of Meshach was not the big things that he accomplished. Of course, that we... You know, everybody gives him praise for it, but the real mark of godless, there have been other geniuses throughout history. There are geniuses that write other amazing works, but they're not Ramesha Feinstein. You know why? Because Ramesha Feinstein was Ramesha Feinstein because of the small things that he did. Because of those small, seemingly insignificant details that he took a call every hour of Shabbos from this woman who asked him, what time is Hadlakas Neiris today? Ramesh Shafansi was a Paisagadar who was dealing with questions on genetics and infertility and, uh, and microwave ovens and, uh, and, and surgeries and uh, Shabbos and Yantiv and you know, all the big sh- issues of the day. And he took time every single Friday afternoon, whether it was an early Friday or a late Friday, and he was as rushed, I'm sure, as we were, and then a thousandfold more. And he made time to say that Shabbos today is at such and such, and such a time. That's the godless of a great person. The godless of a great person is that that person is able to take trivial things, small things, and make them very chashev, make them into the most important thing in the world. Ramesha Feinstein, how he treated his sons. His sons today are two of the G'dayle Yisrael, Reb Ruvain and Reb David. And Ramesha was the busiest person in the world. He always had chasnas and bar mitzvahs and dinners and mayetzis meetings and flying here, flying there. 
And he was always very busy. And somebody once asked one of his sons, how did you know that your father loved you? Your father was hardly ever, he was so busy always with Claudia Yisrael. How do you know that he had, special, had a special place for you in his heart? And the son said there were two ways that we always knew this. First of all, our seat at the table was always our seat. He said, no matter who was present for supper or on Shabbos, and we always had chashuvim, gedalim came, and prime ministers came, and, and, and always chashuva people that were around Ramesh's table, we always had our seats. No, you can't sit here. You'll sit over there because this is David's seat. This is Reuven's seat. You can't sit over here. He says, so that's one way. Our father always made us feel important that we had our special place by him. And the other thing is that every morning in those cold winter mornings we can identify with today, the story isn't as good when you tell it over in the summer, but in a morning like today, you can really appreciate it. He says, we lived in, a, in an apartment building in, in the Lower East Side and it was cold. You get up in the morning, you got to get dressed. It's cold. He says, our father at night went and put our pants on top of the radiator, so that when we woke up in the morning to get up to, to Davin, to go to Shul, to go to Yeshiva, our pants would be nice and warm, that when we put them on, we should feel good. And that's how we knew that our Father loved us. That's godless. Do you have to be Ramesha Feinstein to do that? No, we could all do that. And I try to do that. I, I, you know, I, I, by, by my table, you know, you'll... My, you know, my son is his seat is his seat. My daughter says, "I don't, I don't move. I don't play musical chairs." Their seats are their seats, and and everyone that's invited gets to sit in the other remaining seats. But we try to do these things, and that doesn't make us Ramesh Feinstein, but it brings us a little bit closer to him. I think Ramesh's Rebbeson used to say that there will never be another guy like my husband. My husband is the last of the Achreinim, the last of the Gainim, and she's probably right. We can learn a million years and we'll still never touch the feet of her Meishah Feinstein. But she said, you will never be a Gain like my husband, but you could be a Tzaddik like my husband. That we could attain. These are doable things. We could also go to the kitchen at the end of a chasna and thank the cooks. Doesn't take, you don't have to know Shas and Paiskim to do that. You don't need to know Shas and Paiskim to, to have a special love for your children to make sure to have the midas that Ramesha had. That's things that we could, we could attain. But the greatness of a gadol, says Rabbi Rucham, is really by the small things. That's what defines a gadol. In the world, it's the opposite. In the world, the world doesn't care about how nice a guy a president was. No one is going to say he was the best president in the world and you know in US history and he gets a place on Mount Rushmore because he happened to have put his kids pants on a radiator. Nobody cares about that. They want to know what did he do with tax reform? How was the economy? How was the stock market? How was the foreign relations? How was the uh, you know that's what matters in world history. By Goyim. they don't care if he was a nice guy. Now that's interesting. There's a footnote in history maybe. But Klal Yisrael, godless, is defined by their personalities, by their midas. A godl is not the great things. Not everybody could do great things in life. Not, not everybody is destined to be a Rav Steinemann or a Rav Shach and a Rosh Hashiva and a, and, a, and, a, and a big Rav and a big Paisik. Not everybody, that's not everybody's destiny. That, that can't be everybody's destiny. 
But that's not necessarily what godless is. Godless is that whatever you're doing with your life, you have to be the best human being that you can to fulfill your personal mission in life. Your midas, the small details of life, how you deal with other people, are you fair, are you honest, are you nice? That's what our ultimate legacy will be. Zakhtar Birucham, Shifra and Pua, it's a insignificant detail in their life that when they were midwives, they were midwives in a, in a respectful way, in an honest way. They did good work. They were Mishatheris of Vlad. They were Paya Umidabrela Vlad. When a, when a baby was crying, they knew how to appease the baby. That's insignificant to you. If, it's in, if, that, if that's your kasha, then how could you name them Shifra and Pua? They're Yechevin and Miram. They're Mashiach Shal Yisrael. If that's your question, then you don't understand, says Yeruchim, what godless really is. Godless is not about how big a title you have, how many letters come after your name, how many titles come before your name, how many master's degrees, how many doctorates you have. That's not what's important. What's important is that what you did with your life, you did it with your heart, with your soul, you were honest, you had integrity, you did it properly. And those small things are huge. Rabbi Yechanan HaSandler, Rabbi Yechanan HaSandler, Rabbi Yechanan HaSandler was a, a Tana, we call him Rabbi Yechanan HaSandler, it's always like a funny name, he's a sandal maker, is that what we're calling him? Imagine if, you know, somebody graduates from Lander College and uh, by the graduation ceremony, the dean, when he always gets up and describes what everybody's pursuing, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and we have Yochanan here and he's going into sandal making. Everybody's like, whoa, it's Bizayan. Sandal making? Well, you're going to open up a little kiosk in, in, you know, near the mirror and start, and, and that's, that's godless? The answer is absolutely it's godless. What's wrong with being a sandal maker? It's bizayinus. Who, who, who determined that being a sandal maker is a bizayin? It's our small-minded, gayesha, mitri mentality that if you're not a, a doctor and a lawyer and a psychologist and a dentist and a this, then, you're a, then, then you know, it doesn't pass. How can you do this? You know, there's a, somebody in Parshas Bereshis by the name of Chanoich. And Chanoich was also a, uh, a shoemaker. He was a cobbler. And Chazal say that Chanoich was Teifer Tzfirais Umiyachid Yichudim. He used to stitch. Chanoich was a very holy Jew. Chanoich used to stitch his stitches when he made his shoes, when he made these, these, these sandals. Umiyachid Yichudim. And he used to, as he was stitching one stitch, he was miyachin yichudim, which is a, a Kabbalistic term, which means that he would, he would make HaKadosh Baruch Hu's identity one. Like Shema Yisrael, Hashem Alekein Hashem Echad, every stitch, oh, one stitch is Hashem. One stitch is Hashem. That's the Pashtus in the way to understand it. He was Taifer, Tzfiris, and miyachin yichudim. And that was the greatness of him. Okay, we, we took him away from being a, a, a regular cobbler. We made him now a Makobo. 
He's one of the Lamed Vav Tzadik. He's one of those, you know, the, he's not Stam a cobbler, he's a cobbler, but he is one of those hidden righteous people. My son just came home from Yeshiva, my seven-year-old, and he says, uh, Rebbe taught us about the hidden Tzadikim in every generation, and nobody knows how, how holy they really are, and they're, you know, they do this for a living and that for a living, but really they're holy Jews. And that must be what Chanech was. Chanech was one of those holy Lamed Vav Tzadik, and Miachid Yichudim. So, okay, now we've, uh, we've justified his profession. Let me tell you something. If while Chanayich was being Taifert Firais, he was busy being Miachid Yechudim, then he's in violation of Chayshin Mishpat. If that's the Pshat in the Medrash, that when he's Taifert Firais, he's Miachid Yechudim, then that's in violation of Chayshin Mishpat. Because how is those Firais going to look? They're not going to look neat if he's constantly going like this while he's being Taifert Firais. And he's thinking about the Rabbi Yisham, Yudkei Vavkeim, being Miachid Yichudim, the Tzfiris, if I was doing it, assuming that I could be Miachid Yichudim, the Tzfiris will look like this, and then it will be sloppy, and it will be crooked, and it will be this and that, and it won't be anything. That's not, that, the guy hired me to make a pair of shoes for him, not to create a, a gailam. What are you doing here? What are you, what are you creating? What, this, is, this is a shoe? So it's ridiculous. Zakter Bisal Salamter, beautiful. He says, you know what it means that Chanaich was Taifer Tfiris and Miachid Yichudim? When he was Taifer Tfiris, every stitch that he stitched, he had in mind that I'm doing this, L'Shem Shemayim. I'm going to stitch a perfect stitch, and that's going to be a Kiddush Hashem. I'm going to be the best and most honest and most diligent shoemaker around. I'm going to do the product exactly as the customer expects it. I'm not going to cut corners, and I'm not going to cheap out. I'm not going to use shoddy material. I'm going to make sure that every tefira is proper and good and fine and perfect. And in that way, says Rabbi Saul Salanter, there's no greater there's no greater ability to proclaim to the world that Hashem Elekein Hashem Echad as when a Jew is honest, when a Jew does something right. That's not a small thing. Rabbi Yechim Asamer was proud of being a shoemaker because he also had this mentality that I'm going to be the best shoemaker that I could be. There's no such thing, Rabbi Say, as, a, as an embarrassing profession. Whatever you do, if you do it honestly, you could work in a grocery store, you could be slicing pizza, you could be making shoes, you could be making people's, uh, you know, a tailor, whatever it is. You don't have to be a dentist or a doctor or a lawyer to be chashuv. The Torah is telling you that if your name is Shifra and Pua, be proud of that. If your name is Rebbech and Asandler, be proud of it because what you're doing is, you're doing something L'Shem Shamayim. I'm being Miyachei Dichudim. The smaller the better. Throw something really small at me and see how I feel it and then you'll be able to know if I'm a Gadol or not. If I'm a person that says, ah, beneath me, that you're not a gadol. You could do all the big accomplishments in the world, but you ain't no gadol. Because you missed the boat, you don't understand how the small things in life are the big things. The big things are important also, but the big things are only a legacy for you if you're able to get the small things right. After we die, after Mayav Asrim, 
we know Chazal tell us that they're going to ask us a couple of questions. But you know what the first question is? The first question that they ask a person before all these questions are important. But the first question they ask a person when they die is, what's your name? What's your name? And you have to remember your name. That's why the the psukim that we say at the end of Shemayna Esrei that start with the first name of our name, start with the first letter of our name and end with the last letter of the name and have the middle letters of the name that's why we, we do that. Every single day by Shemana Esri, you should have your own Pasuk. Why? Because you're going to be so fatumult. When you get up to Shemayim, it's so scary up there that they're going to ask you your name. You're not going to be able to remember your name. Hopefully you'll remember the Pasuk. But your name is going to be such a, it's going to be such a blur. You won't even remember your own name. But what does this question mean? They're going to ask you your name. They don't know my name? The Rabbi Shalom is the Ain Saif. He's the Kol Yachal. He doesn't have my name on file. I have to give my social security number to him in order to process who I am. And the answer is obvious. They're not asking you your name. He knows your name. He's asking you the name that was given to you in life. That was your mission statement. Did you accomplish it or not? Did you figure out your name? Did you understand your destiny? Did you hop the significance of your life and what you were destined to do? Did you understand that your personal gullus and your personal ge'ula are all tied to that name? And if you understood that, then why didn't you understand to do what your name told you to do? As we are about to enter this Benazmanim period, it's difficult. It's a difficult period because it's not really Benazmanim. It's like a, it's an artificial Benazmanim. Benazmanim is what the yeshivas around the world consider Benazmanim. Sukkot and Pesach and, and maybe a few weeks in the summer. All of these extra Benazmanims are artificially made. But we'll go along with the charade and say, and call it Ben Azmanim. But we're going to perhaps go home or be away from yeshiva, and it's, it's very hard. It's hard for everybody, myself included, when you don't have a structure, when you don't have a daily seder and a focus and a, and, and a, a real commitment to something, it's very difficult to be all over the, all over the place and to try to... to to tether yourself to a base medrash, to a gemara, to a chavrusa, it's very difficult. But of course, the more we do it, the more we enjoy our ben azmanim. But one thing we have to remember is that we are carrying with us, whether we're in yeshiva or when we're out of yeshiva, we have a name. We have a, a shame type for ourselves, we have a shame type for the yeshiva. And it's very important that we, as a tzibur, as a community, as a society, which we are, maintain our good name and understand that it carries with us, it carries with it so much responsibility. The smaller things in life the smaller things in life are really the most significant things. 
When we go home, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a story that used to be told. You know, it's, it's a joke, I guess, but somebody came home from Brisk. There's a Talmud in, uh, from Brisk, and, and, you know, big knocker, everybody, ooh, Brisk. And he came home, Benazmanim, and he's very yeshivish and very, you know, he's machshiv himself. And he said, uh, and his, he comes home, and one morning he wakes up and he tells his mother, Mama, says, make me a, a cheftz of an egg. I want a cheftz of an egg. So she says to him, when you become a gavra, I'll make you a cheftz of an egg. You know, it's important to have a, a good image of oneself, a healthy self-esteem. But a person has to be machnia themselves. When you're dealing with your parents, have derech eretz. When you're dealing with people... In general, you have to treat them nicely. You have to treat them well. I know this is not a big chiddush, but it is. Because very often we don't, we don't think that it's important to treat, quote-unquote, small people in a big way. We treat the chashiva people very nicely. Rosh Hashivas and the Rabbanim and the Tamidah Chachamim. There we woo. But like the, the smaller people, our parents and our siblings and our, our friends and the, the shamis and the gabai and the, and the post office guy and the mailman and, and you know, the people, the amaynam, the amcha, that we feel like we can be a little bit more fresh and be a little bit more chutzpahdik and, 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 and not accord them the proper respect and the proper dignity that everybody deserves. But you should know something. That is what the definitive the defining legacy that we have is what, what kind of name did we carry with us? Were we able to show ourselves and show the world that we were miyached yichudim, that every single profession that we did, every single activity, every single interaction was chashev. It was, I, I made a person feel chashev. I breathed life into, into this and that person. That's what Ramesha did. That's the godless of Ramesha. That's our godless. Our godless is taking a janitor and saying to him, you did a great job waxing the floors. Now, if you would tell that to me, I would be embarrassed and I'd be humiliated. But, but, but to them, that's their life. And when you say it to them, you don't know how it makes them feel. It makes them feel amazing about themselves. When you tell somebody that the cake that you baked is, is out of this world... For us, that might not be so important, but for them, that's, you don't know how happy you make them. That's very big. When you tell a little boy that I like the way you davened, there's a boy this on Roshani Yom Kippur who davened here in Yeshiva, and I was watching him. His mamish, the whole davening, he was sitting by his, by his machser, and he was davening beautifully. Unbelievable. Like I was on his spot, a little kid, maybe eight years old. From morning to night, from Mamish, from the morning to the Elah, he didn't move his, from a seat, and he was just a pleasure to And I told his parents, I told his father on the line afterwards, and I told his mother when I saw her in a, in a this, and I saw, I saw his, his grandparents. Like, this boy's unbelievable. Like, he's on fire. This kid could be a gobble beast. Oh. And you should know the Hana that they got was not normal. I didn't have to say that. I don't get paid extra to say that. There was no reason for me to say that. But I saw that when I did say it, it made everybody's face light up. It's so easy in life to change other people. 
It's so easy to bring Geula to other people. It's so easy to be a Moshe, to be to take your arm and to pull people from a bad situation into a good situation. And that's our entire shame in life. The Ela Shemais B'nai Yisrael. You know what Shemais are? You know what our names are? Our names is the secret to our Golos, and it's our secret to our Geula. Our entire future, our entire destiny, our entire purpose in life is defined by the name that we're kind of for ourselves in life. The name that was given to us at birth, the name that we acquire for ourselves after birth, our reputation, the reputation of the yeshiva, the reputation of our family, all of these things are so important. And what really forms that reputation, what really defines it, are not the major events. There's a Moshe that was able to be Moshe and Shal Yisrael, but there's also a Shifra and a Pua that took pride in the small things that they were able to do very well. And that is what is eternalized in the Torah as their names because of this greatness that they were able to take these power-given names and say, yeah, fine, that's our mission. We're going to take his name, we're going to make it great. There was a, a great Rebetzin. Her name was Zahava, Rebetzin Zahava Bronstein. And she was a... Uh, a person that taught many, many thousands of young Jewish women. She died very young in life. But any, everyone in Brooklyn knows Ahava Bronstein, and she was uh, very, very impactful on so many people's lives. And somebody once asked her in a class, or maybe she offered herself, she says, you know, what would you do on the last day of your life? If you knew that this was the last day of your life, what would you do? You know, and some people would say, you know, I'd go and fly to the Kaisel and say the whole Tehillim at the Kaisel, or I would do, uh, you know, I'd give all my money to Tzedakah, or I would do like some major thing, like this is my last day, I'm going to do it, I'm going to make it great. She said, you know what I would do if this was my last day? She said, I'd go home, I'd cook a pot of vegetable soup for my husband and my family to enjoy, and I would sit on the floor playing scrabble with my grandchildren. That's what I would do. That's how I would like to spend the last day of my life. As great as she was, she could have said, I would give a shear, I would fill Madison Square Garden, give a shear to 10,000 women. She understood that her defining role after all the chinuch and the kirov and all that stuff, the main thing that goes down in history for her is the way she treated her, her husband the way she treated her children, the way she treated her grandchildren. That is her mission. That's her shifra, and that's her puah. And the fascinating thing about that quote is that somebody actually visited her, I don't know if it was her last day, but close to her last day, because she suffered, she had the machla, and she, and she suffered a lot. It's like yama, yama. But that time that this woman went to visit Rebetzin Zava Bronstein, guess what she was doing? With the last ounces of strength that she had, she was cooking vegetable soup on the fire, and she was sitting on the floor playing with her children, her grandchildren. There is no greater thing that we could do in life than figure out our purpose in life, and besides for the big things that we're doing with our lives, and that's all good, that's fine, it's wonderful, it's commendable. But don't think that that's your legacy. Your legacy is defined 
by the small interactions that you have. What type of person are you? Are you a good person or are you a bad person? Are you a person that can be trusted or can't be trusted? Are you a person that's friendly or not friendly? Are you a snob or you are or are you not a snob? Are you a person that tries to associate with the, with the people that smell good in life or the people that reek? Who are you identifying with? Who are you helping? Who are you trying to save with your life? That is what defines you. That's your shame. That's your name at the end of the day. Your galos and your geula are defined by the Shemais B'nai Yisrael, by your name. Figure out early on in life what your name is, what your mission is, what your destiny is. The big things is important, but the small things. How am I going to change my midas? How am I going to make sure that my family is a certain way? How am I going to make sure that I'm being mechanech my children properly? How am I going to make sure that the people around me are happy and content, and the people that I interact with know that I'll be there for them when they need me, that I have their back. If that's the person that you are, then your entire life is wonderful. You'll go up to Shemayim, and they'll ask you your name. They won't have to ask you your name. They know that you did what you were supposed to. But Rahman al when we forget the small things, when we forget the Shifra and the Pua, and we're only after the big things, and to impress people, and to make sure that everybody's, ooh, that's a dangerous, dangerous situation. That's not the shame. That's not the name that we were put here for. That's the Moshe. That's the big event picture. But we also have to focus on the Shifra and the Pua. If you have Moshe without the Shifra and Pua, then you're not a Moshe. And as we're going into Ben Azmanim, let's remember this. Let's remember to always walk around proud of who we are, proud of our name, and being Mekadeh Shem Shemayim Barabim. This is our goal, this is our destiny, this is our future. And Amitzah Hashem, we will go. Mechayel Al Chayel, have a wonderful Shabbos.